Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. This is a special midweek bonus episode uh, because if you haven't noticed, there is quite a bit going on at this football club that we all support. You know, we sacked our head coach. We've got a former Invincible in charge and there is apparently a search for a new permanent man underway. Arsenal have a short list of 12 names, it seems. Now, that is a short list if you're doing your weekly shopping. But if you're on the lookout for a new head coach, that is quite a long list. That's a lot of candidates to get through. Let's not forget that Arsenal uh, supposedly interviewed eight men when it was time to replace Arsene Wenger. So we've added another 50% onto that this time. Whether they end up interviewing all 12 remains to be seen. But 12 names, 12 candidates, maybe more, who knows? That could take them some time to get through. So I'm not expecting anything imminently in terms of a new head coach. Uh, Given my track record with podcasting and Arsenal head coaches, by the time I've finished talking about this, they've probably announced who it's going to be. But uh, let's assume for now that that is not the case. If you are an Arsblog member on Patreon, you are hearing this before anybody else. If you're not an Arsblog member on Patreon and you would like to support what we do on the site and get access to this kind of content first, get bonus content, bonus episodes. We've got some good ones planned for the month of December. You get ad-free podcasts. You get ad-free Arsblog apps for iOS and Android. And the warm glow of knowing that you're supporting all the work that we do here on the site. You can sign up right now. It costs just five euros a month. You get instant access to all of it. And to do it, just go to patreon.com forward slash arsblog patreon.com forward slash arsblog right not much waffle in this one because it is one of those quick bonus midweek episodes but plenty to talk about and with me to discuss Raul Sanyehi to discuss Unai Emery to discuss Freddie Jumberg his prospects of getting the job who might be the man and what a pivotal moment this is for Arsenal Football Club Um, 18 months after the departure of Arsene Wenger we go again in terms of a new manager a new head coach I'm joined by the Guardian's Nick Ames hi Nick Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, Let me ask you first about Unai Emery, um, who was relieved of his duties as Arsenal manager last week. I'm wondering if you were, um, if not surprised by the decision that they came to in the end, the timing of it, because we heard that uh, Raul Sanyehi and um, Vinay, etc., travelled to America in the wake of the 2-2 draw with Southampton. 
Um, and that appeared to be the final straw for for Emery um, when it when it came to his own job. But I'm just wondering, what was it that they saw in the two two draw with Southampton that they didn't see previously to that? And previously to that, of course, was an international break where they might have had a couple of weeks to allow Freddie Jumberg, um to to settle into the job and and have a bit more time with the players. Yeah, I think um, I I don't blame them for giving him the international break to be honest it's um generally seen as as a bit of a pause and a bit of time to take breath isn't it and as as ralph hassenhutel actually said um in the southampton press conference after that game he felt that was a reset for his players and they were able to then you know go again and put in the what what was a very good performance at the emirates against arsenal and if um if I'm playing devil's advocate, I would say that at Leicester, while it was a deserved and comprehensive defeat, there were one or two little green shoots, I think, where in the first half especially, you you might have seen seen a way forward for Arsenal. And I I don't think it was too much to ask to, to see whether they could really build on that against Southampton. Instead, what we saw was a return to a lot of the habits, I think, of the previous the previous month particularly but also the the previous two months and I think by then it was obvious that the the issues were so systemic that that he had to go and I think I think many of us have been expecting it for for quite a long time I'm not sure whether I would say they should have sacked him much earlier I think um when the real alarm bells started ringing for me this season and, and, and for many other people I think was after the game at Watford when you saw them trying something trying, trying, trying it again with absolutely no hope of it ever working and you know they drew the game they, they should have lost it I, I think in the last minute I remember um Bernd Leno making a, a very good save from close range and after that there were clearly issues and when they won games after that, it was generally through a sort of grand salvage effort, like against Villa, for example, or or, or Gimeres. And there's only so long that your luck can hold up in those situations. Mm. So I think, so I think for me, if if I'm treating, if 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 I'm going on this season alone, um, alarm bells after Watford, but I don't blame them for giving it another couple of months. Yeah, I mean, look. Uh, it, personally, I think it's something they probably should have done a bit more, uh, a bit earlier. But um, they decided, and it looked to me anyway from the outside uh, that they were quite willing to give Emery more time and more time to turn things around until such time as uh, they had that result to um, to put an end to, I guess, his misery, the team's misery, the fans' misery, and and to move on and start again and and start afresh. But people have held up the example of what's happened at Tottenham as a club who, when they decided to part company with their manager, had something lined up. Um, Pochettino was gone and within 24 hours, Jose Mourinho was in. Is what happened at Arsenal and what is currently happening at Arsenal with you know Freddie Jumberg in a caretaker role, an interim head, head coach role, a sign that they weren't really thinking about a succession plan even if they came to that ultimate decision after the Southampton game? I, I think it probably is. Um, I think you, you mentioned a few seconds ago about putting people out of their misery. I, um, I think, and we can go back to the, Southampton, um, to the Southampton game again, 
there was such an awful atmosphere at the end of that game. You know, you, you saw people hardly celebrate, even, even, and even the players and the fans. And I think they just felt in the end that something had to be done to, to perk things up almost and give things a, a bit of a boost. Um, I, I don't think there's been a long-term succession plan put in, certainly not early on in the season. I think, um, I think the way Arsenal have handled it is kind of, they're kind of in a position halfway between Spurs and Man United, if you like, in that Spurs, I think, have, were quite ruthless and dealt with Pochettino very clinically and efficiently and got their man in whether you like him or not and whether that will end well or not. I think they've done very well there. You can then look to the other end of the scale to Manchester United, who probably have quite a quite a death by a thousand cuts field to the end of the season. And Arsenal were going down that road. They've done half of the job. They've got rid of the manager. But now what do they do? And all the signs are that they're still feeling their way around to a solution. So I I think in the end, they just felt that the situation had fairly rapidly become untenable through now. And I think the atmosphere in that stadium by the end, I mean, I've, I've mentioned Southampton, but... And I know you've talked about the Crystal Palace game on here at length before, but the situation with Shaka and the fans and the response to him and vice versa, then these things keep coming up and they're not tenable in the end, are they? No, they're not. I mean, I was at the Villa game, which was a remarkable win uh, in the circumstances. Obviously, Arsenal down to 10 men uh, in the first half and and came back to win 3-2. But, you know, had that had that uh, comeback not materialised, I think things could have turned and um, toxic or, yeah. or more toxic a bit quicker than they did, you know? So they've been skirting along this um, thin ice for, for a little while. But Freddie's come in and he is um, clearly somebody who uh, connects with the fans. Um, your colleague in The in the Guardian, Jonathan Liu, wrote a really good piece about him taking over and Josh Kroenke sort of pandering, I think, to the to the Arsenal fans by talking about how Freddie has got Arsenal DNA. And at this moment in time, you know, Arsenal's DNA, he came to the conclusion that, that Freddie's there not to sort of carry it on, but to change it. Um, maybe he represents something that um, people view of of Arsenal of old, if if there was more of the the Invincibles DNA or, or the double winning sides DNA in, in these players and the, in this team. Things will be, things will be a bit better. But he is certainly somebody who, in the very short term, can a calm things down and maybe um, communicate well enough during a period where it's still going to be very difficult for this team because of the form that they're in and because of um, you know the, the fixtures that they've got coming up. Even that that um, increased uh, communication just might keep things. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It just might make it easier for everyone. Yeah, and um, I think I've got, I mean I've, I've read Jonathan's column, of course, and um, hear what you say there about communication. And I think it it goes beyond the football side of things too. That, um, and I have a bit of an interest talking about this as a journalist, of course, and I'm aware that substance always has to come ahead of style, ultimately, but. I feel that Freddie is a very good front man all around. I mean, we can talk about the Arsenal DNA all we want. I mean, Arsenal have won won games and titles and tournaments in many different ways down the years. So, so I'm always a bit, a little bit rocky about that. But he is a good front man. He's polished. He can communicate clearly to players and also to fans. He's his English is fantastic. He's got a certain. I mean, I 
I, I don't think he's necessarily that open, but he's got a certain charisma. And I think what you need more and more in a coach at the top level these days for a really top team, you have to have a coach who, who is a fantastic advertisement for the club or, or who can at least be that kind of statesman, if you like. And Arsenal have been so spoiled for that for years and years with Arsene, haven't they? Like mm. you, you, um, and you, you guys know that far better on a far longer term than I do. You, even, even down to the speeches he would give to business leaders in the far East and on pre-season tours and stuff like that. And I think one of the biggest mistakes they made in recruiting Unai was that he has not got that kind of charisma, that stardust, partly because his English was not brilliant and I absolutely respect him for trying so hard with it because he really did, um, but partly because he wasn't that kind of character. Um, he, um, he wasn't a man to, I think, forge close bonds with his players and nor was he with people outside the club. So I don't think anyone, and we're talking inside the training ground and outside the training ground here, felt that they got to know him well enough if you see what i mean and and it might sound to 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 people listening as like, like a slightly indulgent journalistic point again but i think it's really really important uh, and it goes a long way i remember talking several years ago now to to andy roxburgh who was the, the former scotland manager and he was the uefa technical director too in a not not dissimilar role to the one that arson now has with fifa actually and i remember him saying that when a manager speaks after the game to the media, you, you look at his face and that is an advertisement of the health of his team. And I would go further and say it's actually an advertisement to the health of the club. And Unai by the end definitely looked very downbeat, very exhausted, very washed out. And I don't think he wasn't trying at all. I, I, I just think he, that for the ambitions Arsenal should have, he didn't have that personality. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, I think that's true. You know, as, as hard as he tried, just naturally, even even um, as somebody who has learned a second language and learned it badly, you know, I can express myself far more fluently and far more coherently in in English than I can in Spanish. And that's, you know, that's normal. And he was only 18 months uh, in England and learning English. And it's very difficult to develop a kind of uh, fluency and, and vocabulary that allows you to express yourself properly. But even beyond that, I don't know that his personality was quite in tune with with what was said, certainly when he took over, you know, the type of football that he was going to play, the way he would um, uh, carry on the work of, of Arsene Wenger, even if it had sort of gone off a cliff a little bit towards the end. Um, yeah, never quite felt like the, the right fit. Um, the presence of Josh Kroenke at the training ground last weekend was was interesting to me and I'm wondering what you what you make of it because for a number of years um Arsenal fans have been a little bit uh what's the word uh, dissatisfied with with the ownership and dissatisfied with Stan Kroenke, somebody who owned the club but never said anything, never really um, gave us anything beyond the occasional platitude in a in an AGM or or a, a statement or, or some kind of financial document about what his ambitions for the club were. Um, I think the Kroenkes and KSE have still got a lot to do to convince people that they want what they say they want for Arsenal and they're prepared to do what they uh, say they want for Arsenal. But Josh Kroenke over the last six months anyway, certainly since the summer, has become a lot more visible. 
He's at games, which Stan very rarely was. He communicates, um, albeit through official channels, um, but it is a it is a step forward in that regard. So, what way should fans take that? Do you think? Does it suggest that? There's more interest from Josh Kroenke, or is it born out of perhaps some concern about the trajectory of the club uh, at this current moment in time? Both are valid, and both are, are probably true. I I would say that you know if if, um, if an asset of yours is performing badly um, and you know tanking in, in in its performance as Arsenal has been in the last year and more, you're gonna want a more hands-on look at how it works and at the people and the processes and that kind of thing. And I think it's you know I I, I don't know closely how well Josh Kroenke knows football I don't know about his knowledge of players or or, or coaches or or how the sport works and it would be wrong for me to cast aspersions about that but on the face of things I think it's good if he is more closely involved I think it's quite encouraging if um and for example um, with the the selection process that we're going to have now with with the three-man um panel um of Raul, Edu and um and Vinay Normally, you might expect that any choice they make and put through to the Cronkies might be nodded through a, a bit like the, a bit like the Queen's speech in Parliament in the UK, you know. Mm. Um, but if Josh is actually going to be hands-on in the process and when a, a, a decision is put to him, think about it and maybe yes it and maybe no it, I think it's very positive and I think it's not before time. Um, But as I say, I caveat that by saying I don't know exactly what his knowledge of players and managers and and the sport itself is because obviously that's important to have that football knowledge and maybe we'll come to that shortly. We don't really know if Arsenal have enough of that in their top level currently. Yeah, well, that is where we're going with this uh, conversation and you wrote a really interesting piece uh, for The Guardian about... Raul Sanyehi, who is the head of football at Arsenal. And, you know, a lot has gone on in the last 18 months. Obviously, when you have a guy like Arsene Wenger who holds so much power and so much influence at a club, uh, it, it can take time for um, for any institution to find a kind of equilibrium and to find the right, uh, the right track and also maybe to find the right people. When Wenger left and Emery was appointed, there were three men there, Ivan Gazidis, who was the CEO, there was Sven Mislintat, as we know, and and Raul Senyehi, and they were the ones who made the decision. And it's become, I think, increasingly clear that over the, um, in the recent weeks, rather, that, that Senyehi was very much a driving force for the Emery appointment, and it would probably go some way to explain his backing for him. But Gazidis is gone now. There's this kind of job share CEO situation where Raul looks out after the football side of things. Vinay looks after the the business side of things, ostensibly, even though he appears to be now involved in the in the football um in the football end, you know, when it comes to the hiring of this this new manager. And there is a new structure there with Edu, with uh, Husfami, who um I saw listed as the director of football operations uh, at the football club. So it, it's um it's been an interesting 18 months from that point of view that there's been a lot of flux on the pitch and a lot of it off the pitch. So maybe the issues that Arsenal are enduring as a, as a team are not that surprising when you consider how much has gone on behind the scenes as well. Completely. And any any analysis of Emery's reign and how and why things went wrong can can only be made when you acknowledge and take into account the the 
I, I don't want to say turmoil, but the changes that went on around him. I mean, basically, Arsenal switched things up, brought new people in, Sven and and um, Raul, as we said, and then they ripped it up again <laughs> for mm. for whatever reason and whoever's idea that was. And it is no way to work, is it? It's absolutely, it's absolutely no way to work. And I think there is a lot of concern among people that, I have spoken to who who may have dealt with the club on player-related issues, for example, stuff like that before. Um, there's an, an uneasiness about the way in which Mislin Tat moved on and the amount of expertise that is at the club now. And it's it's, it's a theme that people come back to, that, um, that Sven was such an excellent acquisition for Arsenal, knew his stuff, knew his people, was very very genial and open and good to talk to but there was so much substance behind it he was a serious 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 guy and i think the i'm talking broadly here but i think there's a general there's a general bafflement in the industry that that wasn't able to work so now arsenal you know in the hands of sorry no i was just going to say it's it is a curious thing isn't it because Mislintat was somebody who who sort of thought outside the box a little bit. He was a he was definitely a uh, maverick is probably the wrong word to use, but somebody who was a little bit left of center whereas and yeah, he seems to be very much a uh, traditionalist in the sense that we we talk a lot about his connections with agents and and the old boys network and that's how you get deals done is that you know people and you know an agent comes to you and says I've got this great player and he's your agent friend and all of a sudden you sign that player not suggesting there's anything untoward but that's kind of the way it has worked whereas Mislintat's approach to recruitment was much more uh, performance-based, stats-based, you know, a, a lot of heavy scouting. I remember Amy Lawrence doing a piece about how it could have been Torreira where um, he, he went and he's, he spent time with Torreira and his family and that kind of stuff. So it was really, really hands-on. Um, so, you know, in the context of what's, um, what's happened at Arsenal, the two men seem quite diametrically opposed. And if there was to be a singular approach to how the football club was being won and there was a power struggle, then Senyehi has has come out on top there. Um, completely. And I don't, I don't want to suggest that necessarily that Arsenal are throwing all of their eggs in in the basket of a, of a contacts-based approach because, for, um, for example, they um, they wanted Munchi, didn't they? Who... who, mm. who who is a he may, may not be a stats guy or whatever, but he's a fantastic player spotter, you know, a, a, su, a superb, you know, um, scout and sort of analyst of players. So, so I think there's um, there, there's still this appetite to to you know get into the details, but we don't really know what the balance is of what we've got there now. That is the problem, and Raul is 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 clearly the leading light. I don't think anyone thinks here's a mug, and I I don't want to put that across at all because. You know, he's as I wrote in my piece at the weekend. He he was at Barcelona for a decade and a half, and I I think most of us know what a tumultuous boardroom that can be. And he 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 wrote it out often quite beneath the radar. Came out came out quite well. Was involved in a lot of details, especially in South America, which is a market I think he does know fairly well. He helped with the Neymar and stuff like that. Um, so he's not a mug, but. I think you need the right person alongside him. And that is where Edu is going to come in so important, I think. Um, obviously, Edu is is a club man, which is nice and important and 
understands the place. How important compared to actually being able to do the job select the right people, I'm not convinced. Um, I think it's far more important that he is able to help identify the right manager for Arsenal and, and other players and staff going forward. Um, and we don't really know yet if Edu's um, experience with Brazil, for example, is going to cut him out for that. We have no idea. He's not really had a, a, a successful club role yet, as far as I can remember. So I think while a lot hinges on Raul, and I think Raul is going to be judged by what happens next, believe me, because I think if you mess up once, which I think they did do, that can be acceptable. I don't think you can do it twice. Um, but I think a lot is going to depend on Edu's voice and exactly what Edu thinks an Arsenal manager should be. And none of us really know what that is. Yeah, I mean, are you a little bit surprised? I'm going to come back to Sanyahi in a minute, but are you a little bit surprised that that since he took over, Edu has been as quiet or, or content to work in the background as he is because, look, you know, he's got a job to do. He doesn't have to tell us day in, day out what he's doing or, or anything like that. But, you know, you would have thought that after a few months, there might be something, some kind of an interview, something that would give fans an idea of, of what he's doing day to day, what his responsibilities are, what his hopes are, what his ambitions are for, for the job, et cetera, et cetera. As it is, he just seems to be the guy sitting in the stands looking on quite often with a an unhappy look on his face because of what's going on on the pitch. But but we haven't heard from him at all, which is, uh, I think, a little bit surprising. Yeah, I, um, I think it would be helpful. And I I think Arsenal, in terms of the way they manage this stuff, and I, I don't want to go bringing Arsene up again, but he... he um, and they were spoiled for so long with the fact that Arsene could talk about anything that ever since he left, there's been a bit of a vacuum in terms of who in an executive position is actually going to talk sense or talk strategy or something like this, talk about the shape of how a football club is running. And I... I do think it's important. You can hear you can hear pronouncements from the boardroom. You can hear votes of confidence from the manager. You can hear fairly anodyne press conferences, to be honest, whether it's Emery or even Freddie giving them. But someone who can outline who can outline the footballing strategy of the club is is vital, and we've never really heard that. And that's why it's hard to say with, with confidence that Edu adds the right balance to the board until we know more. And I'm not saying that he won't. No, I mean he. He could, he could. Um, it really just depends on how much influence he has, I suppose, because um, with Sanyehi as the head of football, um, it's sort of been suggested to me that, you know, within that setup, the power really does lie with Sanyehi and he is the one who has the, the final say on things. Um, so we don't quite know what sort of influence Edu is going to have or is allowed to have, but you would imagine that if um, Sanyehi wasn't open to other ideas, uh, to other people's knowledge, to their expertise and, and, and everything else, they wouldn't have hired Edu in the first place. Yeah, exactly. You would fancy that that, um, that, that just would not have happened. So, no, I... I, I... I think all we can do is keep an open mind on that. And I'm, um, I know people were fairly concerned a week or two back when, for example, Nuno's Brito Santo Wolves was linked with the job because I think it's quite quite well known as well that one of our connections, he he knows Mendes and people like this. Um, 
I think it turned out there was nothing in that. I'm quite reliably informed. Um, but I think the more noises like that come out, people are, are going to worry. But I, I think the jury's out. I really do. You said in your piece, you know, paraphrasing a little bit, but the spotlight is really well and truly on um, Sanyahi now. And you said a few moments ago that that there's no hiding place, really. This this one appointment is on him. And I think maybe when, when Arsene Wenger left, people thought this was going to be the biggest, most pivotal managerial change in in quite some time. But given how much had to change structurally and given the fact that everybody could recognize a manager who'd been there for 22 years with all that power and everything else, there was going to be some difficulty in following in his footsteps. It was sort of a poison chalice, whoever was going to do it, a bit like Moyes uh, following Ferguson at Manchester United. You know, it was you're kind of on a hiding to nothing after going in after a, a manager that successful. You know, I think still think people thought that was going to be the big decision. But for me, this is the one because you get that kind of, not not that it's a free hit, but you get that understanding from people that this isn't quite as easy as um, uh, people might like to think. It's when it's gone wrong and it's gone as wrong as this has that you really have to make sure the next one is right. Because if you don't get this one right, the people above you, I'm um, talking about Cronkies, when they look at Sanyehi, have got to start asking questions of him. That's absolutely right. Um, I think I think you, uh, you can excuse a bit what happened with Emery for the reasons you've just given. Um, but I think now Arsenal will have their board structure in place more or less as they want it. This is it. This is clearly, you know, power struggle or not. This is where we are. This is how it's going to be. So they have to get it right. And Raul, obviously, as 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 I've said, and I think other people have said too, is is the common denominator in the process. So so I think it's right that the light is shone on him. The real difficulty that they have now is, although as you say, this is the one. If Emery was the bridge appointment, if you like, this next one is the one. Are they in the best position now to go for the one? Um, we're um, we're hearing lots of slightly contradictory things about whether they're able to go for somebody who's currently in employment or not. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I think there has been interest in Brendan Rodgers, but I'm, I'm not really sure if they're going to be able to go all the way with that. Um, they spent a lot of money, as we know, in, in a transfer window that at this point may not have been quite as successful as people thought or hoped at the time. Um, we're hearing talk about, you know, possible free agents like like Marcelino, for example. Are they in the best position now to really make the best appointment and make the best of the situation they're in? And I'm I'm not convinced of that, to be honest. The January transfer window looms large, doesn't it, really? Because if you're a manager who uh, could look at Arsenal as a club, uh, you know, one of the big clubs in England, things are not great at the moment, but traditionally one of the big clubs in England, it's a, it's a great job, it's a very attractive job, it's a club with, you know, huge support, fantastic stadium, great um, resources and, and facilities and, and everything else. So it'd be, it would be the kind of job that a lot of managers would want. However, you would be... Um, right to have some pause for thought, wouldn't you, if you were going to come in at this stage of a season and not be given something to help you along? And by that, I mean some funds in the January window, because if you're a manager worth your salt, you're going to look at what Arsenal have at centre-half, uh, you know, defensively and think, oh, 
this <laughs> this is this is uh, maybe too much of a challenge, or I'm you know I'm just gonna go down with this uh, go down yeah, with the ship here a bit, you know, because of because of the quality of some of the players. So, th- do you think that might influence uh, a the decision making at Arsenal in terms of you know if if for example they give it to Freddie, maybe they don't have to be quite as supportive financially in the January transfer window and B, will it make other managers think about whether or not they want to come at this moment in time? Yeah, I I think those are points. I think, um, I mean, look, make, make no mistake, it, it's a massive, massive job. It, it doesn't matter how much Arsenal have floundered in, in, in the last decade. It is a big job and there'll be all sorts of interest in it, I, I dare say, from people who have currently got good jobs too. But whoever gets let loose on that team has got a squad that I think bluntly, when you look beyond the forwards and when they're match fit, the fullbacks, Tierney and Bellerin, is not good enough at the moment. There are players with some good potential, definitely. We can look at Guendouzi, who is going to be a very good player, but is still quite wild sometimes and, and a bit inconsistent. Um, Willock, I, I think, is one of the best two or, th- two or three English midfielders of his age. He's only going to get better. I'm very excited about him. The central defence is almost worth not speaking about at all because we 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 all we all know the issues there and i think it is it would be a massive repair job for it has to be done in the summer again if there are funds there so so there is therefore quite a lot of logic possibly in letting freddie sort of take it through in a fairly low profile way for six months with players who he knows mixing in guys who he thinks can maybe can maybe work from the academy giving players like Saka even more games than he's had and then going going again with a clean slate in the summit the danger with that of course is that you fall even lower in the table you get knocked out of the Europa League and you start next season with not a hell of a lot to look forward to. It's it, it's it's a really really tight one. This it's really finely balanced. And my big concern before we really even even consider this question is is who they could get as a manager at this stage. Who who they could afford. Even even if someone wanted to come, could they afford to pay ten fifteen million to get them? I'm not convinced they could. And it makes me worry that they'll end up looking for a sort of second or third tier manager. When what they really need now is, as as you said a couple of minutes ago, the one. I'm just not sure their place to get it. What What would be your gut feeling? Just final question. What would be your gut feeling on what they're gonna do, given the circumstances, given the stage of the season that we're at? You know, do you feel like it's more likely? Freddie will be given the the job till the end of the season and then they can look for that ideal candidate, somebody who would be prepared to come in the summer and, and deal with deal with all the issues in a more, I guess, structured way because you would have time, you'd have preseason, you'd have um, training matches and hopefully some, some funds. I think they won't do anything fast in December. Again, that's that's not really really based on info, to be honest. That is a, a gut feeling. If you look at the number of games now, I think it's seven more games in December then you've got New Year's Day you've got Leeds on the 4th of Jan haven't you so you've got nine games in the space of I think about 30 days I think you see how Freddie comes comes through that we've got got some huge games like City at home United at home Chelsea at home I think if they come out of that poorly something is going to have to happen quickly early in the new year I think 
think it more or less come through it, get a couple of results. I think a couple of defeats to be expected there too. Then it's worth sticking it out until the summer. But I think for the next month, not a lot to be touched. So it'll be a hell of a time to uh, to pitch a new guy in, especially for the sake of argument someone like Marcelino who you know hasn't, hasn't coached here before I think a, a Christmas schedule is best looked after now by someone who knows how these things work and Cody definitely does so I think for the next month I think they'll probably stick as they are after that I think they might have to take a view again. I, I certainly think there's a, an open-mindedness in the club towards keeping Freddie until the summer if they have to I, I think that's definitely there um but we'll have to see, and I, 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 it wouldn't surprise me if, I was, if, let's say, things went bad in December or went even worse. Wouldn't surprise me then if they had a, a proper nibble for someone like Mikel Arteta. Mm. Yeah, you're right about the the festive season. Imagine throwing a new manager in uh, at that point; it'd be very, very difficult. Um, well, look, we'll see what happens. It's um, turbulent times, but interesting times as well. Nick, thanks a million. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Thank you very much indeed to Nick. You can find him on Twitter at NickAames82. That is at NickAames82, and he is on the Arsenal beat for The Guardian this season, so make sure you check his stuff out there. Just want to say a quick thanks to everybody for listening. As always, we had three episodes in the Acast Top 10 this week, and there are some very big podcasts there in their charts, like Football Ramble, uh, My Dad Wrote a Porno, the Adam Buxton podcast. So it's great that uh, so many of you are tuning in please do tell your friends spread the word Uh, every little helps in that regard Arsenal are playing Brighton on Thursday night which might be tomorrow night depending on when you've had a chance to listen to this if you are an Arsenal member on Patreon uh, you might have heard it on Wednesday if not uh, it's been released for everybody uh, on Thursday today which is tomorrow but actually today in listening terms but tomorrow for me because I'm recording this on Wednesday but releasing it on Thursday. Anyway, look, it's all very confusing. Thank you for being here. James and I are going to have an Arscast Extra for you on Friday because we are playing uh, that game against Brighton. We will hopefully be discussing our first win in two months, our first win for Freddie Jumberg. So fingers crossed, it's going to be a goodly morning. We need those three points. We need something to set us on the way to a bit of festive cheer, put some smiles on faces again because it has been, it's overdue, it's fair to say. Uh, so join my Myself and James for that on Friday morning. Thank you as ever for listening. Catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. 
Due to the fact this was a midweek bonus episode, there is no end bit in this particular podcast. I'm sorry. It was just a case of, you know, getting the podcast done, getting it out there, getting it into people's ears. And I didn't really have the, the time to do the end bit. Well, now I feel bad. Um, maybe I could do something. Do something. What will I do? Okay. This is my impression of Ray Romano. You know Ray Romano. Everybody loves Raymond. Uh, he's also in Get Shorty, the TV series. I believe he's in the new um, Scorsese thing, The Irishman. I haven't seen it yet because I just don't have the seven hours or however long it is to sit down and watch it. I will at some point. It's on Netflix now. But anyway, here's my impression of Ray Romano coming home and he finds that his dog has done a wee on the floor. Oh, no. And that is the end of the end bit. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 